1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Paul and Silvanus. Anybody know who Silvanus is? Before I get any further, we don't we we see him elsewhere in the Bible, but he's not called Silvanus. Silas. It's Silas. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day and each and every day that you give us. Thank you always, Lord, for your goodness to us. Thank you for your mercy and thank you for your grace. Please help me as I teach this lesson this morning. Help us just for these next several minutes to block out the cares of this day or the cares of the week behind or before and just, just allow your word and you, Holy Spirit, to speak to our hearts and to draw each of us closer to you. Be with each of the other Sunday school classes as they meet this morning. Be with each teacher as they teach their lessons. Be with the students. Again, we pray, Lord, that their hearts would be open and receptive to your word. Thank you again for this day and each and every day that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so if you were not here last week, actually the last couple of weeks, where the theme of this lesson is, these lessons are walking worthy of the vocation where you are called. And last week we looked at um, what we see actually in chapter number one here in verse number three, these three characteristics that are found in most of Paul's epistles. In fact, um, look at it again, verse three. Remembering, he says to the Thessalonians, without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So these are, these are characteristics of these churches. So we saw it in uh, the book of Ephesians. We see it in the book of Colossians. Um, we see it here in 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, um, and elsewhere. And then we, we looked last week, if you notice on your handout, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Again, we find it here. And now by the faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. And we made the distinction that uh, in Paul's, other than in 1 Corinthians, in Paul's other epistles, they're found at the very beginning. In Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, they're found quite a ways in, and I'm not going to get into that whole lesson, but you'll find that um, we mentioned that of, of all of the churches in the Bible, the most carnal church was the church in Corinth. And um, uh, Paul seems as if he brings this, and they were the most gifted church, but they were things that were lacking in the church. And we kind of made the point that you can be very, the Lord can give you gifts, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you are um, using them in the way that God would have you to use them. Anyhow, that's just kind of a short analysis. But I want to take the next three weeks, this week, next week, and the following week, and we're going to talk about these three elements that we find in these, these other books of the Bible. Uh, faith, love, and hope. And this, is how he, this is how he measures these churches. 
And the idea of these lessons are how are we measuring ourselves? And I asked the question last week, if Paul was to write Mount Greylock Baptist Church a letter, how would he start the letter? Would he start the letter like he starts it with regards to 1 Thessalonians, Colossians, and, and so on and so forth? Um, would he start it that way? And um, oh, he, by the way, he says this twice. Look, at, look in chapter 5 and look at verse 8 in our text. Chapter 5 and verse 8. He repeats it here. He says, let, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith, and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. So there are these three characteristics again, faith, hope, and charity, or, or, or love. But today, we want to kind of zero in on faith, and the next week we'll zero in on love, and then the following week on hope. So a couple of, couple of quotes that I listed for you here on your handout, if you notice. Dr. Gene Getz uh, wrote this once with regards to faith. He said, in determining the degree to which a group of believers in any culture measure up to the stature of the fullness of Christ, faith stands out as foundational. In fact, really, when you think about it, and we'll see this, you can't really love properly or biblically unless it starts with faith. And you can't really have hope unless it starts with faith. Amen? You follow what I'm saying? And, and, and I hope we see that today. Dr. Francis Schaefer said this. This is a real challenge. If we removed every reference to faith in the Bible, particularly with respect to releasing God's power through supernatural means, would it really make any difference in the way Christians live their lives? Excuse my misspellings there. I didn't, fact, I didn't check that. Well, at least it's on mine, it's not misspelled right. Um, would it make any difference? I mean, we can, in other words, what he's saying is this, listen, as Christians, you know, we can talk about faith, but when do we put it into practice? Um, when, do we, when do we see areas of our life where God is working in a powerful and supernatural way? Like, for instance, we just came out of our Missions Emphasis Month, and part of Missions Emphasis is faith, promise, giving. Is our giving based on, on an aspect of faith where we're depending upon God, or is it just a matter of, it's just, we just rationalize things? Let me just give you an example. I heard this from a, a preacher by the name of Sam Davison many years ago, and... Um, he said this, pretty well-known preacher, with regards to giving and faith promise giving to missions. He said, my wife and I always give an amount to missions so that it makes us a little uncomfortable. And you know what he meant by that? It meant he had, they had to depend upon God to supply the need. Okay, that's faith. That's trusting God. Um, the story of the woman who put in her two mites versus the man who put in out of his abundance. There was no faith with regards to the man putting in his abundance, but there was faith with the woman putting in really the last of her two mites. She had to depend upon God. That's faith. Now, in the bottom of page one there, where it says faith is foundational, three aspects to faith when we think about faith. First, when we talk about faith, it's 
thought of as a means of salvation. We're saved by faith, amen? For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. So when you and I came to know Christ as our Savior, we put our faith in a person who we never saw, um, but we heard about. And that's, of course, there's the working of the Holy Spirit that's all involved in that. But it's a means of salvation. In fact, Paul remarks here, look at chapter 1 and verses 9 and 10, as he writes, writes to the believers in Thessalonica. And if I remember correctly, I believe that this letter is written uh, during Paul's second missionary journey. He says this. Um, I'll start in verse 8. From, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. Now here it is. How you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven and he raised, uh, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. There's a number of elements of faith in there, but in regards to saving faith, they turned. They were once worshiper of idols. Okay, like many of us uh, in this room, or not many of us, but some of us, some of you were worshipers of religion, and you turn from worshiping a religion to worshiping the one true living God. Um, or some turn from not worshiping anything to worshiping the one true living God. And so that's a means of salvation. So when we talk about faith, we're, we're talking about the idea that you get saved by faith. Follow me? Amen? That makes sense? All right. Then number two in the Bible, when it talks about faith, it talks about a body of truth or a system of belief. And we believe in a system or a body of truth. And that's what we hold in our hands. Amen? The Bible. It's the Word of God. That's a body of truth. And Paul makes mention of that when he writes to the church here in Thessalonica. He says this, look in, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and now look at verse 11. He says, As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that ye would, verse 12, ye would walk worthy, that's really the theme to this that's found in Ephesians, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So just at the very end of that verse, where it says, it effectually worketh in you also, in you that believe, there's really two elements. You believe by faith, and then this body of truth, uh, and as the Holy Spirit leads and guides in your life, it has an effect upon your life. So this is, our, this is the body of truth that we look to. We look to the Word of God. So when we say faith is foundational, so first we talk about we're saved by faith. There's a saving faith. And then there's this body of truth, um, which I guess I'll just call it a living faith. We live out our faith. We, we make application. 
the Word of God in conjunction with the Holy Spirit of God changes our lives. But then the third aspect of it is what we want to talk about this morning is a growing Christian experience. Because this was what was important to Paul. If you remember when we were back in missions, I, Emphasis Month, one week I looked through the book of Acts and we saw how Paul started churches, but he would return to those churches to see how they were doing and he would build them up in the faith, that they would be growing. Um, you know, the scriptures say, desire the sincere milk of the word. And how does that verse end? Who knows how it ends? Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So we're supposed to be growing in our faith. And churches are supposed to be growing in their faith, meaning the people in those churches. And really in any church, um, if it's a healthy church, you're going to have people that are at all different stages of their spiritual growth. And um, we need to understand that. Um, and, and Paul, as he is writing to these churches, he's, he's um, impressing upon them the need to make sure that our faith has not become stagnant. And there's a real danger, the longer you've been a Christian, the danger really is that your faith can become stagnant. You kind of plateau. Uh, we all need to be thinking about, are we growing in our faith? Are we seeing God working in our lives? Has it just become routine, almost to the point of mundane? So Paul writes this, and now we're going to spend the majority of our time in chapter 3, where we talk about a growing Christian experience. So this is on the back now of your handout. There's five different types of faith here that I've looked at and uh, kind of dissected from this. So he says in verse three or chapter 3, verse 1, wherefore. I mean, he talks about a means of salvation. He talks about this body of truth. He talks about how he was... Um, uh, impressed with the fact that they turned from idols to serve the one true living God. But then he kind of zeroes in here, and this is a faith chapter in chapter 3. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you, and to comfort you concerning your faith. So this first faith is an established faith. Um, in my Bible, I have the word established underlined, and I have the words your faith underlined, and I have a line drawn between the two of them. So he's emphasizing here the importance of establishing our faith, and he's in the importance of them to establish their faith to make it firm, to make their faith steadfast, stable. And part of that, there would be boundaries that would be laid out. That's a stable faith. And he's impressing this upon them, that our faith would be established. Um, in Acts chapter 16 on your handout, verses 4 and 5, as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that they were that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. 
So really, you know, the whole idea of Jesus uh, and, and with regards to the church and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The, form, the, the whole idea of, of what we're doing here this morning uh, is to establish our faith where people would come and people would be preached to and people would be taught. That's one aspect of how we establish our faith. Uh, we saw that there in the book of, of Ephesians, where he gave some prophets, some apostles, some uh, uh, preachers uh, for, the, for the teaching and the edifying of the body of Christ. In fact, Paul would write, write that here. And uh, I think it's in second, uh, I wasn't thinking about this earlier, but uh, let me just find this real quick. Um, Now look at chapter 5 and look at verse 11. He says this, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, edify one another, even as also you do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace amongst yourselves. In other words, he's talking about the leadership there uh, with regards to the church. And uh, that they, these, these men have been placed in position, and they're in position to help to establish you in the faith. So obviously, coming and assembling at church is one way to establish our faith. So you tell me, what's, uh, if, so if you're going to have your faith established, you need to have some ideas how you can establish your faith as well. How else can we establish our faith, to, to, to build our faith, to make it steadfast and firm? Jim, Jim. Yeah, just our daily reading of the scriptures. You'll have a hard time having an established faith if you're not daily in the Word of God. Yes? Sharing our faith. That's an excellent way to establish your faith because that way you're telling other people about what you have and uh, letting them know about Jesus. That's good. What else? Obedience to the word, yeah, establishing our faith. That's what I talked about. Our, our faith is established when we recognize there's certain boundaries that, the, that in fact, Pastor Ethan was, he was teaching on that a week or two ago. I lose track of time about um, the importance of boundaries and, and God's laws always for our good, not to hurt us. What else? Faithfulness yeah. That's, that's, we mentioned that coming to the Lord's house. That's also, there's also, we'll see later on in this lesson, another aspect to that. What else? Anything else? These are all good things. Prayer, our prayer life. You have a regular prayer life, a regular Bible reading life. Anything else? Yeah, we'll talk more about that. That's part of the comforting faith, but that's true. Edifying, building one another up. We'll kind of see, I believe we'll see how we start with an established faith and we'll kind of build on that as we look at these other aspects of faith. All of these are great. Any, anything else? Okay, so we have an established faith. Did you get a handout, Terry? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, number 3. So Paul writes to them there. And he had sent, he sent Timothy, young, the young preacher Timothy, uh, um, his brother, his minister in the gospel, fellow laborer, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. He wanted that faith. 
He wanted their faith to be built up and he wanted it to be established. Now let's pick it up beginning in verse uh, 3. That no man should be moved by these afflictions. Oh, let me just stop there before we move on to the next point. That's another reason that their faith needed to be established because they were under affliction. And affliction will move people from the gospel. What do I mean by that? People, affliction in people's lives will move them from being uh, the type of Christian they ought to be. Anybody give me an example of that? What might move people from following the Lord? Because he was worried. Paul was worried. He said that no man should be moved by these afflictions. Anybody know, just offhand, what the afflictions were in Thessalonica? Go ahead. No, although health can move people from uh, following the Lord, some, something, some issue in health strikes people, and that can either draw someone closer to the Lord, right, or it can draw somebody away from the Lord. Well, in a way, it was financial. So what had happened was in Thessalonica, there were trade unions. And to be a member of the trade union, you had to be, uh, you had to be a follower of the idols. This is an extremely heavily uh, idol-centered culture. And so if you remember from early on in the lesson, they turned from idols to serve the one true living God. Some of you came out of a religious system when you got saved. Did you ever get any grief from your family because of that? I mean, I've met people. I remember years ago, we had a woman in our church who's with the Lord now, and she got saved, and she was planning to get baptized. And I remember she came to me and she said, Pastor, she said, I'm supposed to be baptized on, I forget whatever the date was, next Sunday, and my family are really upset with me. Because she had been sprinkled in a religious system. And I thought for sure she was going to say, I think I should maybe wait. But she said, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to get baptized. And she did. Because her faith was real. It was genuine. It was established. And she was just a young Christian. Well, in Thessalonica, you would lose your job. Some of these Christians lost their jobs. They had no income. So from a financial point of view, yeah, that's some of what they were struggling with. So afflictions, that you need established faith because there's things that come along in life. Sometimes we don't expect them to come along. And uh, an established faith will keep you strong through whatever those afflictions are. Amen? Amen. 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 <laughs> For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. Wow, that's an interesting verse. We're appointed unto afflictions. You know, elsewhere the Bible says, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But we live in a relatively free country where we don't see a lot of that, do we? But they sure did. For verily, when we were with you, Paul said, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation. We told you this would come, even as it came to pass, and you know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, Paul says, I sent to know your faith, tempt by some means, or lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. 
So again, in my Bible, I have the words your faith underlined, and I have the word tempted, or you could have the word tempter underlined, and I have a line drawn to it. So the first faith here is, he talks about having an established faith. But then he talks about having a tempted faith. Has your faith ever been tempted? Well, maybe not with regards to the means of salvation, but how about the second one? That's this body of truth and being obedient to it. That's a tempted faith. Here he's worried about the tempter. Who's he talking about, the tempter? He's talking about Satan. And um, again, we saw where we started in the book of Ephesians, where Paul talks about uh, taking on the whole armor of God. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness, against the rulers of darkness. And he talks about the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation, our loins girt about with truth, and the shield of faith, and uh, the sword of the Spirit, and our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He talks about all of this because there's a spiritual warfare. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, you have engaged in a spiritual warfare, whether you want to or not. It's just there, and you're going to have to deal with that. And Paul writes to these young Christians here. Remember, these Christians are only about eight months old. And he writes to them, so important, he says to them, that your faith gets established, but he reminds them that your faith is going to be tempted. Look at, look at chapter 2, look at verse 18. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but look who, look who hindered him. But Satan hindered us. Oh. So Satan is in the hindering business. I've said from the early days that I've been involved in ministry, whatever God tries to build up, Satan will try to tear down. And he'll do it in different ways. He'll try to tear it down, try to tear it down, try to tear it down. But he reminds them of this, that their faith is going to be tempted. On our handout, James would say, let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then it goes on to say, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. When sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. And there's all kinds of deaths that can take place. We often think, when we think of the word death, obviously, that primarily we think of when a person gives up the ghost. They physically die. But Satan and temptation, um, there's marriages that come and die. And sometimes it can, listen, it, it, it can be between a man and a woman who are Christians because, yes, they've both accepted Christ as their Savior, but somehow or another, one or both of them are no longer involved in this body of truth, the Word of God. And no longer is there a growing Christian experience. And um, that can have an effect on, our, on our, our marriages. And marriages die. Relationships die. Sometimes churches die. Um, 
And so we're to be careful of that. That's part of the, this faith that Paul is looking about in these churches. He says, I know your faith. He said, your work of faith. He was commending them for this. But he was warning them as well as he was writing to them. Verse 6, but now when Timotheus came from you unto us, and there's Paul, he's, he's there in Athens, he's probably thinking, I wonder how those Christians are doing. You know, when I was in Israel on uh, Sunday afternoon on our way to Tel Aviv, or try, we tried to zoom into our service here, it's a seven hour difference, but we were on a bus heading for Tel Aviv, and coming in, coming out, coming in, coming out of, of service. I was wondering, well, I wonder how things are going back on the church, you know? And um, Paul was wondering that. He was wondering, wonder how things are going there. In fact, he, he had a real love for these people, a real concern for these people. Look, look what it says in chapter 2 and verse 7. He says, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children, so being affectionately desirous of you. We were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. Got a real care and concern. But now in verse number six, he, he, he says, Now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also see you. And so in my Bible, I have good tidings underlined and I have your faith underlined. And I call this a binding faith. He said that there was a good remembrance. He, he was thinking about them. He was caring about them. He had, had a yearning desire to see them and to see how they were doing. Um, the idea of loving friends or loving family, uh, uh, loving one another in each of our, or when we're together and when we gather together. Um, Jim Atherton mentioned earlier about not forsaking ourselves as together as the manner of some is. And I actually have Hebrews here. And often that's used, sometimes that's used for the idea of to, um, to, to get people to come to church. You know, you know the Bible says that we uh, should not be forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But what's the motivation behind it? The motivation behind it is just not to get people to sit in a, in a seat and to come into the building. But, but look on your handout, Hebrews chapter 10. Look what it says. Paul writes, I think Paul wrote Hebrews. Most people assume that he did. He said, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. There he is again talking about an established faith. For he is faithful that promised. Now look what he says. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Then he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. So what's he saying here? What's the motivation for us to come together? It's to love one another. It's to edify one another. It's to exhort one another in the faith, not to tear one another down, not to be gossips, not to be uh, critical. It's to love one another. Chapter 2 and verse 17 of our text, again, look what it says. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, 
endeavor the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. He couldn't wait to get back and to see them. And that's a binding faith. That's what our faith does. It should bind us together. Amen? Amen. Man. All right. Let's make sure you're all with me. It's kind of a quiet crowd here today. And then I got to move quickly because we're just about out of time. And then there's a comforting faith here. And Deborah mentioned something along those lines earlier. Look at verse 7. Therefore, brethren, we are comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. So I have comforted and I have that underlined and your faith and I have a line there, a comforting faith. Uh, Paul's faith was comforted when we hear of what's going on um, and how God is working. Uh, that should comfort us. When, when we see God working in people's lives, that should be a comfort. When we read a missions letter, we try to put a missions letter in every one of our bulletins, we should be comforted by the fact that God is working. I think today's missions letter is from um, the Mortensons? The Mortensons in um, Honduras. And we should be, when we read that, we should be comforted in the fact that we're having a part in what God is doing in Honduras. And um, seeing people get saved and lives being changed. A comforting faith. When we see one another and when we assemble together in church, we are to be comforted by that. And um, to know our brothers and sisters are, are serving the Lord. Paul would write in Philippians, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the, for the gospel. A comforting faith when we're striving together, when we're pointed towards the same goal. Um, we're comforted in that. Um, I went downstairs on Wednesday night, picked up the kids on the bus on Wednesday, brought them to church, and uh, then went down just to see the beginning of the Wednesday night uh, Bible club downstairs, the kids club. And it was really comforting for me that all the kids were sitting in a circle and I, I don't know what they were going to do, but they were going to do something down there. And to just to see all of those children down there as they're being ministered to. And, um, and somebody made dinner. I don't know who made the dinner, but I had a few of the meatballs. They were pretty good. And, um, but it's just people doing things and comforting one another and edifying and exhorting one another. And Paul was looking for that as he wrote to these churches by the way, if you were here last Wednesday, uh, Sunday morning, you would have found that in 1 Corinthians, they were not doing any of these things. And we went through it. You read through 1 Corinthians chapter 1 through about verse 12. And everything that we're talking about today was missing from the most gifted church in the Bible. Gifts as far as the gifts that God gave them. They were missing these things. And Paul has to correct them with regards to this. And then we, now you, you might be looking at me and saying, well, is that us? No, I, I don't know if that's us or not. I'm just teaching you and preaching you this portion of God's word for us to reflect upon it. And so we finish with this, the lack of faith, uh, verses 10 through 13. So look what he says. He says, night and, well, verse 9, For what thanks can we render to God again for you for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God? Oh, Paul was so excited for this church here. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect 
that which is lacking in your faith. Oh, let's just stop there. So do all of us have some area of our life where our faith is lacking? Yeah, we all do. And this is this is this church here was a good church. But Paul understood, and it doesn't matter how good a church is or not, everybody, individual and even within a church, there's aspects of our life where our, our faith is lacking. And sometimes it's because we've just begun to kind of rationalize things in our Christian faith and not step out by faith and not see God work. Um, and he understood that. He understood that. We all lack. Look on your handout real quickly. Uh, Luke 17, 5. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. Well, the apostles needed their faith increased too. Amen? But does anybody you probably don't know, does anybody know what the context of that, what was happening, what, Paul, what, what Jesus was teaching them prior to Jesus saying, or the apostles saying, Lord, increase our faith? Well, I'll tell you quickly because we're out of time. It's when Jesus had taught, they had asked the question, how many times should we forgive? Seven? And what did Jesus say? Yeah, and it's right after that the apostle says, Lord, increase our faith. So when I read that, I thought, sometimes one of the hardest things to do with regards to our faith is to forgive people. Right? And so... I'm just, what I'm trying to do is make a point here. There's different, there's different aspects. Or, or, or think of it this way. Or, or if your faith is like a huge house with many different rooms, and each room represents different areas of our walk with the Lord, is there certain doors that you haven't opened and let the Lord into that area of your life to increase your faith in that area of your life? So Paul writes these things here to them. So how did they do when he writes this to them? Well, we'll finish, go to 2, Corinthians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and you'll see what happens. Eight months later, he writes them another letter, and he says this, chapter number 1, verses 3 and 4. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith, what does it say? groweth exceedingly. It doesn't grow. It's growing exceedingly. And the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth so that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Well, that's pretty high praise, wouldn't you say? He says, wow, in eight, I wrote you a letter, and eight months later, he finds out what's going on. And their, their love wasn't just growing. It, grow, it was growing exceedingly. There, there, it was abounding. And that can only happen when we allow the, the Spirit of God to work in and through our lives. That we're, we're thinking about the fact that our, our Christian experience has to be a growing Christian experience not a stunted Christian experience. Um, but we're out of time. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you'd bless now the morning worship service. Lord, help us to think of these truths here and help us to be a people of faith. Challenge us, Lord, where in our lives of late have we stepped out by faith 
and just trusted you in a very powerful and supernatural way to provide, to make the difference, to give us the strength, the courage to deal with whatever it is we're dealing with, to see your hand working in our lives. Help us to have an established faith. Help us to be in the word and in prayer and and under the preaching and teaching of your word. In Jesus' name, we pray and ask these things. Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.